Good evening, this is G. Craig Lewis uh, from EX Ministries here again with another EX Cast, our EX Ministries podcast where we try to bring you the truth unedited, uncut, to let you know what is really going on in the world and the body of Christ as well as the kingdom of God uh, as God sets his kingdom up in the earth. And today I have a very good friend I call him a very dear friend of mine um, all the way from Jackson Michigan Uh, none other than Bishop Ira Combs how you doing Bishop oh marvelous thank you for asking uh, Reverend Dr. G. Craig how are you sir I'm doing good and it's good to have you here and as the election of our American president is drawing closer we're beginning to just see I mean, I consider the, the, the plan of the Antichrist, the end time, as well as the plan of God uh, or, or the prophecy of God being fulfilled right before our eyes. And I wanted to bring a resident expert on the underworkings of the government, the money, the monetary system, the economic system and all of that. I consider you a, uh, a student of that where you, you know, you have enlightened me on a lot of things and we just hit it off when we met because I'm, I've always went on a quest for the knowledge of what's really going on. The, the, a lot of the parts that we don't see above ground and I know you have done extensive study you know people in high places and you can kind of put a whole uh, or kind of put a tag on some of the things that we're seeing so I wanted to bring you on here on the XCast so you can kind of enlighten the body of Christ because it just seems like uh, this election is going to one direction and uh, what, what, what do you see going on as far as this election uh, uh, is concerned? Well, I'm, I might as well begin um, the um, discourse by stating that, um, of course, I was and have been a uh, supporter of President Bush as well as uh, John McCain in this race. And so uh, the biases that I have may, in fact, um, uh, cause people to uh, lean one way or another. Now, why? My comments. Well, let me let me uh, let's deal with that just for a moment. Now, why are you a Bush and McCain supporter? I mean, you're a black man, so aren't, <laughs> <laughs> aren't you supposed to be? You know, the the hip hop. Uh, what was it, the hip hop honors awards came on the other day, and throughout the whole awards, I mean, the most ignorant sounding, retarded sounding rappers I, I've ever heard got up, and all they kept saying was "vote black." Make sure you vote black. So they equate black and Demo- you know, the Democratic Party as the same thing. So how did you end up not being a part of the black party? Well, uh, there are a number of reasons, particularly that are based not on uh, personality or on individuality, but on um, ideology and philosophy. I think it was Woodrow Wilson, the Democrat, who said, it is not men that interest or disturb me primarily. It is ideas. Ideas live men die, quote-unquote. And so really because of my ideological differences with the Democratic Party on um, a number of issues, number one, on abortion, uh, which I feel uh, from the standpoint of a Christian, uh, albeit I be African-American, I'm Christian first, and because of my um, theological and philosophical leanings toward the Christian culture, I could not support a party that endorses the abortion or pro-choice agenda of Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and of those
those individuals who espouse uh, the doctrine of uh, choice with respect to abortion. Uh, number two is the issue with respect to um, the traditional marriage, as much as there is a movement among those individuals who embrace the what is called gay ag agenda <clears throat> to legalize uh, gay marriages and to redefine the marriage relationship to be subject to uh, the interpretation of those individuals who en engage in the same. Uh, we, as Christians, of course, hold to the traditional establishment of, of marriage in the Garden of Eden by God between Adam and Eve, and it being the bedrock and the nucleus of society today, and that society is built on uh, the marriage relationship uh, being a traditional relationship between one man and one woman. Number three is the position uh, the Democrats take on taxes and government. Um, with respect to the Republican Party, uh, leans more toward less taxes and less government intervention in the lives of the citizens of this country. And because it seems that the Democrats embrace a populist and or socialist philosophical disposition and or ideology with regard to taxes and government involvement being the panacea or the cure-all to all of the ills of society, um, my position with respect uh, to embracing the planks of the platform of the Republican Party is to lean more toward a political party that pushes personal independence, personal accountability, uh, and personal achievement, as well as lower taxes and lower government. Uh, number of four would be uh, the belief that uh, the party leans toward with respect to immigration that in fact uh, immigrants coming to the country should be accountable should be taxpayers if they're going to participate in american society and the economics of our country and of course should go through a legitimate process to be legitimatized as american citizens um, these are uh, primarily the main reasons why uh, i oppose and or am in deference uh, toward the or show deference toward the Republican agenda versus the Democratic agenda in as much as I'm really not caught up in the personality and uh, the, the hoopla, or if you please, the, um, the, the idea of a person such as Kurt Kendrick, my friend, and Brother Barack Obama, uh, versus the ideas that the party stands for. And the, the Democratic Party has more so adopted the populist socialist agenda uh, that has um, been uh, the problem with respect to higher taxes and the expansion of government in our country. That, in fact, has led to much of the problems that we see today with the collapse of the financial markets. Yeah, okay, and, and also touch on this for me um, because I think a lot of times people don't understand when you talk about expanded government or oversized government or more governmental control how does that play into the, the cause of the church you know the church of God how is it affected by government intervention into you know some of the ideas that uh, government may support that are against the church well I, I think it plays in uh, into um, and or interferes with the mission of the church when government and elected officials, particularly members of the House and the Senate, or what we call Congress, are instrumental after being elected in 
uh, developing and creating uh, legislation and or law and passing law and sending it through the House to the Senate, from the Senate back to the House for it to be uh, reconciled or to go into conference and, of course, to be worked on until it goes back to the president's desk for him to review and sign and becomes law. When, in fact, individuals who are elected to Congress and or to the House engage in creating laws and pushing laws and passing laws that are contrary to uh, that which is healthy for the moral fiber of our communities, then undermines society as a whole. Uh, for example, abortion. Uh, we know that uh, since the organization of Planned Parenthood by Margaret Sanger, who was a geneticist that was trained under Adolf, Adolf Hitler, and her exclusive mission was to exterminate African Americans. Mm -hmm. And when she formulated that organization, organized it here in the States, uh, it has been extraordinarily successful at promoting, propagating, and encouraging African-American females who have unwanted pregnancies to terminate those pregnancies at given periods of time during the pregnancy. And to the tune of the statistics reveal some 400,000 babies are aborted every year according to recent statistics in the African-American community alone. Now we know that this is contrary to the Word of God and Scriptures. It is really nothing new in terms of a practice of an immoral society. It dates back to the days of the Old Testament uh, when heathen tribes uh, worshipped the gods of Chemos and even the Canaanites worshipped Baal and Ashtoreth and the temple prostitutes would have babies, um, unwanted babies, and then offer those babies as sacrifices to uh, the gods in their temples. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have this same thing going on today with regard to the immoral practices of engaging in sexual activities that in fact um, consummate uh, in a pregnancy and of course uh, leads to the individual who is pregnant uh, but has uh, become pregnant and does not want to keep the child to go into the abortion clinic and aborting the pregnancy at given trimesters of the pregnancy. And the current laws that President Bush tried to reverse when he was elected uh, and tried to uh, implement new laws to try to overturn some of these uh, destructive moral practices that are being done in our society are probably going to be rescinded and with the new administration going in because uh, Barack Obama is a close friend and endears uh, the, the, the mission and purpose of Planned Parenthood, uh, it probably will lead, lead to more abortions. Um, I think that uh, the laws of President Bush signed, and particularly the one that terminated or uh, that made it unlawful to participate in partial birth abortions. Mm -hmm. uh, these abortions were abortions where the fetus was almost fully developed and they would take uh, a, a needle and stick it into the skull of the developed fetus who was now currently living on independent life in its mother's womb and would uh, suck the brain out of the infant and then they would pull the infant out and then they would of course uh, terminate the pregnancy by 
uh, of course, or, or consummate the termination of the pregnancy by uh, chopping the baby up, literally destroying uh, the residue of the fetus. So this is a, a very uh, barbaric kind of practice that was going on. And of course, the president tried to intervene to pass, to sign in law. I was there, as a matter of fact, when he signed this law at the Reagan Theater on the mall in downtown Washington, D.C., a block or so from the White House. Myself, um, I think it was John Ashcroft at that time, was the um, attorney general. A number of members of Congress were there, as uh, well as a number of preachers, including uh, Jerry Falwell and others who were living at that time. And we all were there as witnesses to the president signing this particular document. This is an example of the kind of things uh, that those who are elected to public office can uh, espouse or propagate that are in opposition to the teachings, to the doctrines, and to the religious moral position of the church. Hmm. Now, as far as the church is concerned, because I heard Michelle Obama uh, state in a video that's on YouTube now, um, where she said that they their plan is to go into black churches and demand that pastors stop being homophobic and accept the homosexual agenda in the church. She said that she was going to guarantee that you know there's not going to be any preaching against homosexuality and different things so that the homosexuals won't be offended. She was saying this at the gay and lesbian uh, gathering at the Democratic National Convention. She spoke at their council and she said that her husband has already gone into black churches and pointed the finger at pastors and let them know, you know, you got to stop being homophobic and accept the gay agenda. And that was a part of their agenda for the black community. Now, um, how does something like that, I mean, can something like that really be done by the president? Well, I imagine if, in fact, uh, pastors of given denominations are uh, willing to invite uh, the president if, in fact, Barack Obama is elected, which it appears that he will be uh, the victor in this particular campaign. I imagine if pastors welcome him to the pulpit to speak, then that he would be free to say whatever he feels led to say, unless there was some pre-arrangement between him and clergy for him to limit his remarks to a given area of discussion or of public comment. And having said that, uh, I would not be surprised if, in fact, uh, Barack Obama or Michelle Obama, if he's elected president, would espouse this because, in fact, uh, they have been proponents and supporters of uh, gay rights and of the gay agenda. Uh, this is why those members of, of the various gay organizations, gay and lesbian organizations, are so heavily involved in the Democratic Party and have been um, involved and participants in developing planks in the platform of the Democratic Party that are now a part of the Obama and the Democratic campaign, as well as uh, integrated into the Democratic machine. Uh, we are going to see, no doubt, an, an overthrow of the will of the people, no doubt of the courts, if in fact liberal judges are appointed in the appellate courts and through the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, with respect to this same subject matter, uh, the will of the people is showing that 60 to 76 percent of people in the states across the continental United States are opposed to the redefining of marriage 
uh, from the traditional one man, one woman, uh, to that of homosexuality and lesbianality, or that which is in harmony with the gay agenda. Uh, despite this, though, uh, there is a 55-point document that has been developed by the gay and lesbian rights organization that they were pushing during Bill Clinton's administration. But they did not and were not able to move that agenda uh, with any considerable success because the House and the Senate flipped and became Republican. And so you had uh, checks and balances in uh, Washington that helped offset that agenda. And even though they may have pushed for these 55 points uh, to be passed as laws in the land to give them full ring to push uh, their lifestyle, um, their custom, their manners, and, of course, um, uh, the things that they do on the American people, Duke Genrich and the Republican House, as well as those, Tritlot, and uh, those in the Republican Senate, block this from passing. What we are in danger of in the present distress is what is called a supermajority. That is, if the Democrats are successful in sweeping approximately seven new seats in the Senate and additional seats in the House, along with the White House, they will have what is referred to as a supermajority that there would not be sufficient votes from the other side of the aisle to filibust any legislation that, in fact, the people may not want to see become law. Therefore, whatever they choose to push as law in Washington upon the, uh, the states that make up the continent of the United States will become the law of the land. And mm -hmm. this is why uh, this is a very extraordinary move and a very dangerous and disturbing day in which we live because we are well on the verge in nine or less days of seeing Washington completely overrun by the liberals and their agenda with no checks and balances whatsoever. Oh, now, Bishop, why, why and I'm, I'm, I mean, this has always been a question in my mind, what is a liberal Christian? I mean, how, how does... And let me. I'm trying to be cool the way I say this because you know black folks would just turn this off immediately if they think that we are both Republicans. They automatically assume, well, we're just dogging out the Democrats, or well, we just you know. I mean, it's like a mindset in the black community that you're either Uncle Tom if you're not Democrat because Democrats are for black people. Why does where did that come from? I mean, why? Why did the Democratic Party, which is the liberal agenda, the very things that's destroying um, the black community, which is AIDS through homosexuality, of course, abortion, 1,400 abortions a day alone in, in the black community, and then, um, you know, the silencing of the church. These things are destroying the black community, and yet the blacks vote for the candidate that promotes the very thing that destroys them. Where did this mindset come from? I mean, why? It, they always say that the Democrats are going to help black people. Do you do you do you know where that came from? Well, uh, at this point, you know, we'll take this in reverse order. At this point, because the Democratic Party has been successful at uh, elevating and successfully um, endowing the first African American candidate for candidate for president, it probably is an un. Uh, what do you call it, uh, unforeseen conclusion. Well, it may have been unforeseen, but it is concluded now 
that uh, the Democratic Party probably will uh, forever um, own the embrace of African Americans. Now, uh, this uh, historicity goes back to uh, the days of uh, 1932 when Herbert Hoover uh, ran. I believe it was against, it is against Franklin D. Roosevelt and lost. At that time, African Americans had been voting for the Republican Party up until that uh, particular presidential uh, election. Seventy-five percent of African Americans voted at that time for Herbert Hoover because the Republican Party was seen as what is referred to as the party of Lincoln, the party of anti-slavery, the party of the Emancipation Proclamation and or the Party of Freedom. And Lincoln had been very good to African Americans. Frederick Douglass is probably one of the most prominent African Americans in Republican history, uh, as well as there are others. But um, in uh, 1932, when Herbert Hoover lost to FDR, uh, FDR and the Democrats got together and worked on a strategy. And that strategy was a strategy to develop what became known as, uh, I think it is the New Deal. I think it is the, uh, the New Deal that, that they came up with. And, um, and I hope I'm <laughs> saying this right. In the New Deal, um, what came out of legislation in FDR's administration are what is called the entitlement programs. Uh, Social Security, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, a lot of these things began to be de developed, welfare uh, in part. And he served, I believe, uh, for an extended period of time. I think FDR served for some 16 years, at which time um, the, those in the legislature, both Republicans and Democrats, agreed to put before the people and pass law that pertained to term limits. Harry Truman uh, succeeded him, and then after Harry Truman, Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, succeeded him, and then John F. Kennedy held a meeting uh, with Martin Luther King in Washington requesting him to bring uh, to the table or to influence the vote of African Americans to vote Democrat in exchange for JFK signing what became known as the 1964 Civil Rights Act. I have a copy of a videotape of that meeting in my office as we speak. Now, Dr. King did mobilize African Americans to vote for JFK. Uh, they did vote. JFK was elected. And then he was, of course, assassinated. Uh, following his assassination, Lyndon Baines Johnson, of course, picked up the mantle and carried uh, that civil rights legislation through. And it was the Republicans who, in the House and Senate, that passed that legislation. But the Democrats got credit for it because the man at the top of the ticket in the White House was a Democrat, JFK, if you please, Linda Baines Johnson, and much of the groundwork that was necessary to extricate African Americans from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party had been done under FDR through his um, New Deal that he put together in passing legislation to make entitlement benefits available to African Americans who were, quite frankly, suffering uh, great socioeconomic ills back in those times. Mm -hmm. Now then, uh, after this, you may remember Richard Nixon was the father of uh, affirmative action. Um, he was the one that put forth the first affirmative action programs at colleges and universities in this country. Now, now, now he's Republican. Yes, he's Republican. But again, um, he got in trouble with Watergate and any of his um, uh, 
credit and achievements, if you will, uh, were someone lost in the quagmire of the Watergate scandal. And much of the good that he did has uh, uh, been clouded by uh, those terrible failures even to this day as we speak. So African Americans have voted, it appears, historically uh, monolithically. When I say monolithically, they have cast their votes for one side of the aisle or another. It's 1932, it was Republican. Uh, since that time, uh, they have come over, uh, they have uh, migrated, if you, if you will, to the Democratic Party. And, of course, even George Bush, when he ran recently and appealed to African Americans through what is referred to as his faith-based initiatives, and that was a strategic way of uh, Republicans through uh, that plank in George Bush's platform uh, to reach into the African American community and to embrace African Americans through faith initiatives and through social service initiatives and partner with them so that relationships could be developed so that goodwill hopefully would come forth and there would be some political benefit from that. Um, some of it did work because George Bush's numbers were up considerably when he ran in 2004 and he received about 14 to 17 percent of the vote in 2004. He received about 14 to 15 percent of the vote in 2000. Primarily because conservative Christians who are African American embraced George Bush because of his position on anti-abortion and pro-life as well as the traditional family arrangement or traditional marriage being the law of the land, hoping possibly to get a federal marriage amendment to offset some of the crazy things that we're saying today with regard to the gay agenda. And then George Bush did and was successful during his first term in passing what became known as the Bush tax cuts, which did, which did not just benefit rich people, but people making between 40000 and upwards to a million dollars all saw their taxes come down because, in fact, they were able to take greater advantage of the deductions uh, that were availed them on their tax returns. I'm sorry, please. Hmm. So, wh where did um, the hatred for George Bush and the black community come from? I mean, because we see prominent black leaders uh, who were once behind Bush. Uh, Colin Powell, for example, who stated the other day that he did not want to see two conservative judges appointed to the Supreme Court. Um, he, that's why he's voting for Barack. Then you see Kirby John Caldwell, T.D. Jakes. Uh, you see a lot of the black leaders that have now begun to back Barack Obama in spite of their indifference uh, in um, I call it the Antichrist agenda which is homosexuality uh, abortion and the silencing of the church or the, the you know the amendment to keep or the bill to keep the church from preaching against uh, the sin so what well, there, there, well, there, there's, there's a few different worlds here that you're speaking to when you ask the question when you speak to uh, those who refer to themselves as theologians and as representatives of the Christian community, uh, I would imagine if they're African-American, they are using 
and or leaning more toward the anthropological connection they have with Barack Obama. Uh, should we lean more toward our anthropological connection, or should we lean more toward our theological and Christian convictions? I think if you're asking me, uh, those of us who are Christians have an obligation to lean and to exclusively uh, finalize and consummate our decisions on uh, theological Christian convictions. However, uh, there is a vast number of African-American theologians and black leaders uh, who, in fact, refer to themselves as Christian, who are leaning more toward what I heard one Harvard scholar say, their anthropological connection with Barack Obama, that he is, in fact, the first African-American possibly to uh, ascend to the highest office in the land and the most powerful democracy in the world. Having said that, um, uh, when it comes to Colin Powell, this is a different world. Colin Powell is in an altogether different world and on an altogether different plane than clergy, theologians, and preachers or religious leaders. Uh, Colin Powell is the member of a very sophisticated arrangement and organization. Uh, many people have no knowledge of, and probably this would uh, need this would need to be spoken of in a very uh, cautious and edited form. And that organization, or those organizations, are the Council of Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission. Interesting enough, when Barack Obama announced that he was going to run for president of the United States, uh, the Rockefellers, I think it was uh, David Rockefeller, and I may have this wrong, but one of the Rockefeller uh, gentlemen uh, openly supported his candidacy and um, announced that he, in fact, uh, was going to be an advisor, chief advisor to Barack Obama. And uh, understandably so. And as much as Barack Obama was running for the highest office in the land, and it looked as though at that time that he was putting together a elite organization that was going to give him a possible advantage in the primary against Hillary Clinton, which uh, ultimately it did, and which he, of course, upset Hillary Clinton for the Democratic primary um, candidacy and to become the head of the ticket or the face of the Democratic Party for the presidential election or presidential campaign. Excuse, excuse me, if you please. So uh, Rockefeller uh, is one that heads up the council or has headed up the Council of Foreign Relations and the North American chairman of the Trilateral Commission. Now, that commission also includes such uh, renowned individuals as Henry Kissinger, who we had a meeting with uh, just a few weeks ago in the city of Dearborn, Michigan, uh, who tried to give us a better perspective on the presidential uh, race, and Kissinger, uh, incidentally, was backing John McCain. Uh, Mr. Brzezinski, who, of course, uh, served, I believe, in the Jimmy Carter, he is another advisor to Barack Obama. Uh, you may also note that um, uh, Christopher Dodd, Senator of Connecticut, is a CFR uh, member, as well as Chuck Schumer, um, Ted Kennedy, and a number of other individuals, including Colin Powell. Uh, uh, it is my observation that the CFR and the Trilateral Commission is endorsing Barack Obama, and this was done early on because uh, most of your media heads, uh, most of uh, the heads of government, business, lawyers, scholars, and educators have some affiliation with the CFR and Many of them have joint affiliation with the CFR and the Trilateral Commission.
1980-81, there were 280, uh, excuse me, 260 government leaders that were a part of the Council of Foreign Relations. There were 650 business leaders. There were 216 lawyers. And there were 411 scholars and educators. And, of course, um, someone said, what is the significance of the CFR? Well, also, your major players on the Federal Reserve, your, ma your major players in the Treasury, your members of the National Security Council, your major players and or executives of all of your major media outlets, as well as all of your major uh, CEOs, vice CEOs, and board members of your major banks on the East Coast, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and so on and so forth. Uh, all of these individuals are part of this sophisticated organization. And on both sides of the aisle, both Democrats and Republicans, it is my guess that what happened was the Council for Foreign Relations came to the conclusion that Barack Obama was the anointed one, if I could use that terminology. And he, in fact, was the one that could better push the agenda of the Trilateral Commission's um, new, or, new World Order, if you please, and the Council of Foreign Relations in globalizing the economy. Our economy is going to have to be globalized. It has to become seamless. We have to become global participants in the New World Order. And I think this is why we saw the stock market crash based on, as we spoke earlier, uh, the selling of bad paper in these mortgage-backed securities or these um, government-securitized assets that are also called mortgage-backed securities, MBSs, and trillions of dollars of paper was pushed into the market by many of these mortgage companies and banks, and the paper was bundled into um, mortgage-backed securities. It was tied into government-securitized assets. These assets were sold on the secondary market to other entities, and the paper was all put together on a formula that is based on a derivatives formula that is tied into what they call um, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the name that just uh, escapes me on this interview, but is tied into, excuse me, credit default swaps. Mm -hmm. And these credit default swaps, all of this paper was supposed to be based on a formula that said, that said to these banking institutions and these financial institutions that purchased the paper that the formulas used to push this paper into the market and to sell mortgages to these people and bundle them and sell them back to these financial institutions would guarantee that these financial institutions would get their money. But what wound up happening, as we're well aware, they put trillions of dollars of paper into the market, and the paper, when it was sold to the financial institutions, wasn't worth the paper was written on, and it was sold as AAA paper when it was junk bond, and so these institutions could not co collect any money for what they had purchased. Therefore, they, re they refused to loan money to each other, and everything came to a screeching halt. The Federal Reserve is the one that sets uh, the policy for banking reserves for financial institutions. The financial institutions uh, were in violation of their regulatory requirements. Therefore, they go out of business. And the government then comes to the taxpayer and asks the taxpayer or 
Congress passes what is called an emergency bailout, which is over a trillion dollars that goes to Hank Paulson, goes into the Treasury, and the Federal Reserve regulates that money and tells the Treasury to take that money and give it to the banks, who in fact go out and buy up these assets. And in some instances, the Treasury is actually going in and buying banks, which means the banks are becoming nationalized, which means the government is going into the banking business. Are you following me? I'm following you, and this is just the perfect setup for the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, and the one world rule, because you got a globalization that is affected, the global market is affected by our market, and, I, and it sounds like this strategy is being implemented in all the major markets. It is. It is being implemented in all the major markets. Uh, you're speaking on a subject that most secularists don't believe in, and secularists, secularists excuse me, would not accept. Uh, we see it as what it is, and even George Bush, H.W. Uh, Bush, excuse me, George W. Bush's father, H.W. Bush, called it what is referred to by you, a new world order. That's what he referred to it. Yeah, I have it on videotape, him actually saying that, and then his father, Prescott Bush, was also a part of the, the that Federal Reserve, that elite team. With the, yeah, the, the Council of Foreign Relations. Yeah, the Council of yeah, Foreign Relations. And the Trilateral Commission, yeah. And then also one of the... Uh, Kabbalah Jews I speak of in my in my part four True Find Hip Hop, uh, Rothschild. The Rothschilds actually came out uh, back in uh, Barack Obama as well, right? Or was it with McCain? Was yes, well, the, uh, of course, the Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, is a very sophisticated, highly intelligent, brilliant organization with regard to secular doctrine and secular ideology. Uh, yes, they back both candidates. There are some Rothschilds that backed John McCain. There are some that backed Barack Obama. If you remember, in the primary, there were some Kennedys that backed Hillary Clinton. There were some Kennedys that backed Barack Obama. So uh, they have to, in fact, back both sides. Uh, lobbyists do the same thing. Lobbyists give money to Democrats and Republicans. But they try to give more money to the political party that they feel will be successful in rising to power, if you please. And so that's to ensure that either way, whichever way the pendulum swings, they're in good with the side that is the victor. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. This is, this is the strategy. Uh, this is the unfortunate thing that African Americans have failed to do, even though I, as a theologian, could not necessarily espouse such a strategy with regard to participating in the secular world order of systems. Mm -hmm. But if, in fact, African Americans are going to be involved in the political process, uh, they should at least practice what all other races practice, and that is they should have representation on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Caucasian Americans or Anglo-Saxons or whatever you want to call them, they split their vote. The Catholic Church, I have a book in front of me by George Marlin called The American Catholic voter, the Catholic Church, which numbers about um, a billion plus adherents in the world today, and particularly still has strong influence here in America, they split their vote usually between 49 and 51 percent Democrat, Republican. If the majority of Catholic vote goes for the Democratic uh, uh, Party candidate, history has revealed in most cases that or those candidates win, depending on 
where they are geographically located and what the Catholic influence is in that geographical area. And so the demographics and geographics do matter as to how and what the influence of the Catholic vote is, but they split their vote. When it comes to Hispanics, they split their vote almost evenly between Democrats and Republicans. We are, for the most part, the only race, I'm speaking only from a secular perspective, now. I'm not speaking from a religious or spiritual perspective, we are the only race that votes monolithically as far as the statistics reveal with respect to a race of people that are involved in the democratic process in this country. Why, now, what is the, I mean, why is that? I mean, is it, because I know uh, you, if you turn on uh, BET, they're dogging out Condoleezza Rice because she's with Bush, but they'll celebrate whoever's with uh, Obama or Clinton or whoever. And Bush can Bush can do all wrong, but Clinton can do no wrong. And so, well, again, uh, what happened? What has happened with with the Democratic Party? As I talked about the historicity of the Democratic Party and its um, affinity and affiliation with the Black community, the Democratic Party has been successful in allowing some degree of assimilation of African Americans into the party. Also, you may note that in the urban centers that have been abandoned by white flight, the Democrats allowed African Americans to come in and run under the Democratic ticket in the urban centers across the United States. Almost every city in the United States is and has seen white flight and has seen African Americans come in and move into positions of rank and authority in municipalities and in government, if you follow what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And these individuals have come in to run for these positions under the Democratic ticket. The Democrats have allowed them to come in, join the party, set up a shop, and run under the ticket. So they have empowered African Americans to a greater degree in their party in these positions across the United States in our urban centers, more so than, as you are well aware, Republicans have. Now that, again, has been somewhat um, magnified now that Barack Obama has moved up um, as a phenomenon from out of nowhere in Chicago, in local, urban Chicago politics as a community organizer, to the U.S. Senate, the second most powerful position in American government, and now he's getting ready to ascend to the White House. Mm. So uh, this, no doubt, will uh, solidify the relationship between African Americans and Democrats. Um, whether or not the Republican Party will be successful in reaching more African Americans now that Barack Obama is getting ready to become the president is quite frankly, trying to find the right words to say, but it's quite frankly something that is most likely improbable. It is not impossible, but it is most likely improbable. Even though George Bush appointed more African Americans to positions of rank and power in his administration than any president in the history of this country, and even though uh, George Bush um, appropriated more money to African American black colleges or to black and or African American colleges across the United States than any president who was his predecessor or any of his presidential predecessors. And even though George Bush uh, allocated and appropriated uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to faith-based initiatives to empower
our ministers and their ministries in the various cities across the continent of the United States. Yet and still, uh, it I don't see that being sufficient to turn the loyalties of these African Americans to the Republican Party because Bush did this as the president, but they, they there really is no grassroots connection of these individuals to Republican institutions and organizations. If you follow what I'm saying, I follow what you're saying, and that that brings me to something I want to say. Um, doesn't George Bush, uh, or didn't he, or aren't you, and, and I know you have a lot of involvement with the president, um, with George Bush, and with, you know, you, you're at the White House and different ones. Alex. I was just with him. We had lunch with him. Uh, about 50 of us had lunch with him in Grand Rapids just last week um, and had probably a two-hour, hour-and-a-half, two-hour conversation with him, private conversation with him. So he's a personal friend. Yeah, and, and that's what I know. So you're not somebody that's just just, just talking. But um, I, I wanted to say, isn't there... Hadn't he also helped fight to keep the church uh, uh, able to speak out against uh, our beliefs and what, what, as, as it pertains to homosexuality and different things? Isn't there some kind of uh, organization, I think, that you may deal with that when preachers speak out and they try to get them in, uh, or they get in trouble for speaking out against the gay agenda and different things? Uh, has he worked along those lines as well? Well, there are a number of organizations out there that uh, are, are champions for free speech uh, for um, our mega churches and the fundamentalist Christian believers who have been speaking out on moral issues uh, for the past um, multiple decades. Uh, so one is the Alliance Defense Fund, another is the American Family Association, a number is Tony Perkins and the Family Research Council, another one is James Dobson and Focus on the Family. Just uh, mentioning four of those organizations, um, and then there is the uh, American, the African American Congress. Uh, excuse me, the African American Pro Life Congress of uh, African American preachers and people who are against abortion and for pro life and the preservation of the unborn. So there are uh, numerous groups out there and numerous um, organizations that will fight for the constitutional rights of free speech and separation of church and state with respect of or respect to the state and the government being able to come in and, and hush the mouths and the voice of the clergy and of the ministry to speak freely uh, the things that they embrace as their religious beliefs. What we did when we were heading up the President's Faith-Based Initiative when J.C. Watts was in Congress and, of course, Senator Santorum was in the Senate, was we were instrumental in pushing Bill H.R. 7, House Republican or House Resolution Bill H.R. 7, that was passed through the House to um, give the president the authority through faith-based initiatives uh, to allow faith-based organizations and community-based organizations to compete on equal footing with secular organizations for government dollars to provide various social service supports to members of their community. And one component of the bill, which the president signed uh, by the time he got to the president's de desk, it had been butchered in the Senate, cut up in the Senate, so he could only sign bits and pieces of it. But one component of the bill that he signed and uh, 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 added to the faith-based initiative um, uh, 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 
uh, bill that we were trying uh, to make them to make sure became law was that part that stated that faith-based organizations had the right to hire people based on the tenets of their belief. If people coming to be hired by them when they had received government money did not fit the teachings of their belief, morally or otherwise, then they had the right to say, we do not and will not hire you because you subscribe to a set of beliefs and principles that are contrary to what we believe is morally good and morally right. Mm -hmm. Now, this is what made the bill very unpopular with secularists and with those individuals who are a part of uh, the various homosexual organizations and liberal organizations. As a matter of fact, they threatened their Democratic members of Congress that if they would vote for this, then they would have to run campaigns to vote them out of office. And I had a very extensive converse, conversation with Congressman David Bonnier before his seat was eliminated here in Michigan, where he and I sat down together at um, the um, Metro Airport, Detroit Metro Airport, when they were uh, trying to complete uh, the Northwest Airlines portion of that airport. It was under construction. And we sat down and I spoke with him at length on his need to support this bill because the bill was good for the community. It was good for uh, community supports. It was good to bring faith-based organizations and institutions to the forefront to provide goods and services to people in urban centers who, in fact, had been neglected because so many of the secular institutions were failing at meeting their needs. And he agreed that this was a good thing, but he communicated to us that he was being threatened by your liberal groups, and he did not know that if he could support it or not, in as much as if he did support it, there may be backlash from his constituent base. Mm. When the vote came down, he called me from the floor and said, Bishop Combs, I'm sorry, there's too much uh, fireworks, there are too many fireworks, and there's too much controversy on the floor here about this bill. Uh, I want to vote for it, but I can't because uh, too many threats are coming in, and I can't put myself at risk like that. And so I said, well, uh, Congressman Bonnier, I'm sorry that you feel that way. You probably, when you run again, you'll be voted out of office. Well, without saying any much, uh, much, further, much more on that, I would say that he did have his seat eliminated. Uh, we put no part in that, but his seat was eliminated eventually uh, through redistricting. And as a result of that, he wound up, of course, um, uh, being removed from Congress anyway. It would have been appropriate for him on principle to vote for the bill. Mm -hmm. But again, the liberals went after him, and he, in fact, refrained from participating. I think he voted against the bill, or either he refrained from voting at all. But we would not. We were not able to get any support from him. So now, as far as liberal agenda, and I know we've been talking close to an hour now, but this is just so interesting because I just believe in going straight to somebody that knows instead of what we see on TV because I don't believe anything the media shows. Uh, I don't trust the media. I've done research, and I found out that the media is controlled by, you know, certain um, entities. It's all about money. It's all about the Antichrist well, there's, agenda. There's one entity that is involved in Barack Obama's ascension uh, to the height of power. Uh, his zenith rise is can be attributed to 
uh, one entity, if not two, and that's the Council of Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission. Uh, these are very powerful groups. Uh, they are, if you ask me, they are a genius of a construction of an organization. And there probably has been no organization on the face of the earth that I know of. And, and I'm a student of history. I don't call myself an expert because I don't have 10 years. They say you have to have at least 10 years of experience in the Harvard Business Review. And it has to be vetted and um, uh, litmus tested experience in order for you to be an expert. But I will say, as a student of history, it is clear to me that the CFR and the Trilateral Commission um, really are unrivaled in their uh, strategic organizational success at controlling democracy with regard to the history of mankind. There is no group that I can see in the history of mankind that has been as extraordinarily successful in managing um, the process of democracy as the CFR and the Trilateral Commission. I say that because the American democracy is the longest standing and living democracy in the history of humanity. And we're here now for over 200 years, two, cent two centuries, yes. No doubt it is the goodness and the mercy of God. Yes, it has benefited uh, Christianity and, and the, the message that we pre preach as uh, agents and ambassadors for the New Testament church, but at the same time, uh, it also has benefited the spread of wealth throughout this country and throughout the seven continents of the earth, and they currently are working, no doubt, on crashing the market. They're working on setting up a new systemic order. Order, excuse me. The G7 nations met right after Congress voted to put a trillion dollars of the taxpayers' money into the Treasury so the Federal Reserve could regulate it. We all know the Federal Reserve um, is owned by the major banks on the East Coast who are owned by the Bank of England. Anybody should be able to figure out that when we were emancipated um, or when the Declaration of Independence was signed mm -hmm. and we became a so-called free nation in 1776 under George Washington, we should be clear that we may have become free from what is called British colonial rule, and we were no longer under the Queen of England, if you please, or King George of uh, Great Britain, even though we may no longer have been under the Queen, and the Queen... Our money is. Our money. We did not have <laughs> any money to finance the new nation. So you had to get your money from somewhere. Come on. <laughs> and so... Obviously, if you're going to have to go back to the Bank of England and get some money so that you can finance the development of the 13 colonies and the new nation, then they're going to set up a system to make sure if they loan you money, they get their money back. Yes, sir. Okay. And so it's genius. Yes. I don't have a problem with the Rothschilds. Uh, we know from history in the most re recent um, publication of the history of the Rothschild family, uh, and the theme of that book is if money is a god, the Rothschild is its prophet. Mm. And that's a profound thing because uh, we know dating back to 1795 to 1820, uh, the Rothschilds emerged from Frankfurt, Frankfurt, Germany. And we know the five sons placed in the countries uh, as follows. In Germany, uh, Emschel Rothschild set up banking. In Vienna, Austria, Hungary Empire, 
Solomon Rothschild set up in England, Nathan Rothschild in Italy, Carl Rothschild in France, James Rothschild, uh, the five sons of the Rothschild family, the five fingers of the Jews. It is genius, and it is in harmony with the scripture in Deuteronomy. Yes, sir. I believe it is the 32nd chapter, uh, where it says, well, I don't want to quote the chapter, but I'll say in Deuteronomy it says that you shall lend and not borrow, you shall be the head and not the tail. Yes, sir. This was a promise of Jehovah to the Jews. Mm-hmm. And that promise has come to pass, passed, excuse me, if you please, through uh, the House of Rothschild. Mm-hmm. So they are in the position they're in because God put them in that position. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Osama bin Laden and others can get angry all they want and try to uh, take action against them and try to destroy our economic institutions in America so they can upset the balance of economic power and shift in hopes of shifting um, uh, things toward another means of currency, but it won't work. Mm-hmm. Because as you're well aware, the G7 nations met right after um, the Congress in our country passed the bill yes, sir. to put a million dollars, or excuse me, a trillion dollars in the Treasury. Then the G7 nations met. Germany, France, the UK, Canada, the United States, Italy, and Japan. They all met and agreed to work with the United States to develop a new monetary system or an updated, sophisticated economic system that, in fact, would be able to deal with this problem that we're dealing in our glo- dealing with in our global markets today. And Barack Obama has agreed, no doubt he has to, agree to participate because uh, those individuals whose name I, those names I mentioned that are a part of this systemic order are individuals that are advising him. And he can't do anything but work with the system because the system's already in place. Well, okay, and th- th- this is just brilliant what you're talking about. I, I-, I want to, because we're, we're an hour into this. From your perspective, I mean, I, I know we I see the rapture happening. I mean, it, the, it, it's just imminent because all the pieces of the chess game, all the things that have moved around have positioned themselves for checkmate. And it's almost like with the money and different things. And now you see the church with preachers and ministers and people just disregarding abortion, disregarding mm-hmm. same-sex marriage, just disregarding the issues that are most important to Jehovah God, most important concerning the scriptures. They just disregard that for uh, you know, a racial reason to vote for a black man or for historical reason that blacks are always Democrats or even for a monetary thing that they may not even understand thinking that, well, the Democrats are for the middle and lower class and the Republicans or rich folks don't understand us. So all these different mindsets have pretty much ushered in the mindset of the Antichrist. This is almost beast, mark of the beast rehearsal. This actual election it is like, it's like, People are rehearsing to select the mark of the beast. What is the mark going to do? You won't be able to what? Buy or sell Mm -hmm. without it. And so it's almost like we're up against a buying and selling kind of thing because they're not focused on the issues that God is concerned with, which is the moral issues. They're focused on the money. So what advice do you give us? I mean, leaders and pastors and those of, of the black church, 
I mean, what 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 advice do you give churches and, and different ones at this time? Because of all the underworkings of the things you just spoke of, coupled with the support of a man who is going totally against scripture, even though he's claiming to be a Christian, what is your advice? Well, again, uh, let's back into this uh, this question that you're asking me about my advice. Uh, be it John McCain or Barack Obama. Uh, either candidate, if elected, would have to cooperate with the agenda of the CFR and the Trilateral Commission. Even George Bush um, was blindsided by the collapse of the markets. When I say blindsided, um, I don't know that he knew the timing of the collapse. Mm-hmm. Because the timing of the collapse of the financial markets of recent was perfectly timed to sink John McCain's ship. Now, every party that has been in power in the White House when the economy collapsed has been voted out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is um, politics one-on-one in American history, if you please. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, for John McCain to even be as close as he was a few days ago, I don't know where he will be next week, uh, I would assume that the race will be tight, but it looks like uh, the seams are coming apart as we speak. But for John McCain to be as close as he is, that's only because the American people identify with his heroics uh, in our armed services and his service for so many years in our U.S. Senate. So his public service, both in the military and in politics, has kept him closer than what he would be or any normal Republican would be given the circumstances we're confronted with. The Iraq War is something black people never or African Americans, if you please, never supported. I think only 20 to 35 percent of African Americans had anything good to say about the Iraq War. They just don't believe in war. African Americans don't, by and large, according to the statistics. And so, the Iraq War, number two, has lasted longer than any war that we have been in as a nation since our beginnings in 1776 as 13 colonies. So. Uh, now we're we're bogged down in an unpopular war for a period of time that is unheralded in history, and that has taken its toll on the popularity of President Bush, both among whites, blacks, Hispanics, and all Americans. Now, uh, as we move through this this discussion, uh, where we are now is people are looking for someone to move the nation forward. They're looking for a leader. And that is uh, probably in harmony with the order of the day for the coming of Christ. Because when the Antichrist comes, they will be looking for a leader. And that's where we are now. They're looking for a leader. Even though the church is still here. And Paul said in Second Thessalonians, I think chapter 2, only he that now let us will let until he be taken out of the way, which is the church. Mm-hmm. So, that remnant of the church that is here, the Christian church, that is the voice of morality and the voice of God for salvation will continue to hinder and be a voice of opposition to all of the immorality and greed as well as exploitation and manipulation that's going on in politics and in society until God wraps the church out of the earth. But the church is confronted with, as you are well aware, a dilemma. The dilemma is that 
the church is in what is referred to as its seventh dispensation, its seventh age of truth, which is the age of Laodicea. And the scripture is clear in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse number 14, uh, where he said, And I say unto the angel of the messenger of the church of Laodiceans, Write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the tr creation of God, which is Jesus Christ. I know thy works, and thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that's faith, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that's holiness, mm -hmm. and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see, that's discernment. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous, therefore, and repent. So this is the only thing the Laodicean church can do is repent or turn from these ideologies, these philosophies, these attitudes, these behaviors of unbelief that has led to this condition that Jesus is speaking of in the third chapter of the book of Revelation that speaks with specificity to the church of our day. Verse number 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now what is verse 20 saying? The church has put him out. That's why he's on the outside knocking on the door. Get back in. Mm -hmm. The church will not let him back in as a whole. So in verse 20 he says, if any man hear my voice, and open the door. And this is the condition of the church. People will have to be saved as individuals in this day hmm. because our organizations and our institutions and our groups are not going to do what's right because, as you said, most of the leaders that have ascended to the height of these organizations are ungodly themselves. Hmm. And because they have risen to these positions of presiders and their lifestyles are in question, then they are not going to let God back into the organization or the institution or the order. So now, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Verse 22, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So he's speaking to the churches of our day, and particularly these churches of the seven churches of that day, which culminate in the Laodicean church of our day. And each individual is going to have to make a decision as to whether or not they're going to be saved. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to be saved as an individual because if you're looking to be saved by connecting yourself with a group, which you all of us need to be in an organization, all of us need to be under government, all of us need to be under governance, all of us need to be accountable, but at the same time, we cannot look to be saved.
say just because we are attached to a organization or because we go to a church, mm-hmm. we're going to have to give diligence, as Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1, to make our calling and our election sure. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a final scripture that I think was brought to my attention by one of our bishops before he passed concerning the coming of the Lord. And I think this scripture describes where we are today in terms of His coming. Because you know, and I know, people are still being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. This whole discussion of receiving the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues that came up with Sarah Sarah Palin, what God ordered, God moved for them to bring her to the forefront so that that would be on the national stage. So people would not have any excuse about they not hearing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. But now a vice presidential candidate is in our day, in the 21st century, talking about having attended the church and or having been exposed to this experience. That is not by happenstance. That is God-ordered. As it was when Jimmy Carter, when he was president back in the 70s, confessed to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues in a Southern Baptist church. And afterwards, they ran him out of the White House, even though he was a Democrat. He can still see the Holy Spirit, too, for those who are listening. But that caused an onslaught of attacks that eventually led to him being a one-term president. Now, that is because the world is not going to accept this experience. They reject. They have rejected God. Well, but, Bishop, I, I mean, I, I got to interrupt you here because, you know, when that's even mentioned, even in some circles with some preachers and pastors and bishops I know, they they don't accept Sarah Palin speaking in tongues. They say that that was a farce. They say she was making fun of it, or they say, well, she's left that church. She was just using that. I mean, it's like nobody will accept. Nobody black that I know will accept this woman's claim of being Pentecostal. Matter of fact, they joke about her being Pentecostal Palin. Well, but but all that in one sense is bad. In another sense, it is good because it, it is revealing the condition of people's hearts. People's hearts are being revealed through this whole process. Mm-hmm. Whether people are black racists, whether they are white racists, racists, whether they're liberals, whether they are conservatives, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, whatever's in their heart that conflicts with the Word of God is revealed when God manifests these things that represent Him, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because now everybody gets to see where everyone stands on godly issues for those of us who are concerned about godly issues. Yeah, it's just like I said a minute ago, it's beast... Mark of the Beast rehearsal, pretty much. It is rehearsal. It, it's showing. It is rehearsal. It's showing who's going to take the mark based on buying and selling versus, mm-hmm. you know, stand with God on issues of morality. Or, or, or standing on scriptural principle and basing their decisions and their position and what they decide to do on what they believe the scripture requires of the child of God. Mm-hmm. And very few of these brothers even know the scripture, much less believe it. And so you can't believe it if you don't know it. Right. Certainly, I'm not going to be able to know it if you don't believe it.
And so they are basing things on, no doubt, their anthropological connection to the candidate. But again, I have nothing against the candidate. I feel, regardless of who was elected, the agenda of the CFR and the Trilateral Commission would go forward. It will be expedited with expediency. The term expediency means with that which benefits the political agenda. It will be expedited with expediency when and if Obama is elected. And then finally, there's a scripture in the book of James, chapter 5, that I think explains where we are with respect to the catching away of the church. He says in verse 7 of chapter 5, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So, uh, this, as you well aware, we're in the last days of the latter rain. And so, we are admonished to be patient. We are admonished because the husbandman, which is Christ Jesus, waited for the precious fruit of the earth. And that fruit has to do with the last of the souls that he will save. And have long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. So when he pours out the last baptism of the Holy Spirit on the last person that will receive it, and he says it's time for him to catch up his people, Oh, as we all know well aware, he'll say, come my people, and we'll be caught up to be in there. Oh, Bishop, this is this is this is so heavy, and you know, I just every time we talk, you you hit me with stuff like this, and I get excited about it. But oh, I just hope people that hear this can hear that one, you're a student of this stuff, you know it, you know the inner workings of it, you know the the core workings as well as the above ground workings, you know the deception that is working in it. I mean, you're an expert on this stuff. I consider you one, and then oh, you're very kind. And then you couple it, of course, with your conviction spiritually, and you never let the politics supersede your conviction. And I, th oh, no. I think that's where we have the problem, even in the black community and the black right. churches among us. People are choosing culture over Christ, and they're allowing the politics to supersede their, con their, their convictions. But I, I guess the sad part is, like you said, Folks don't know what the Bible say, but not only right. that, they don't know the politics either. Exactly. So all they know is what the media show them. All they know is what's on the surface. Or all they know is what they think is going to happen to their financial state. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and when they yeah. know only yeah. voting about a financial state, it goes back to what I call yeah. the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. The mark of the beast rehearsal because they won't be able to buy or sell. Right. That means they will give up their conviction. That means they will give up their morality. They will right. give up their stand for Christ right. to buy and sell. That's true. 
And that's where we are right now. I appreciate you so much, Bishop, for all of this information. I'm going to have to divide it up in two parts, but I'm going to get this out as fast as I can. I thank you for this information. And oh, thank and, you. And, and to just to let, let the people know, we didn't even scratch the surface. We, yes. we said, you said basically won't what won't get us both killed but if you if you really got in it then we'd have to go hide somewhere in a bunker <laughs> but with the stuff you know and that you've shared and that we share on a consistent basis but i appreciate you i appreciate your zeal for the people of god and this information and uh, we'll be back with another xcast real soon people please stay prayerful and also if you're gonna go vote vote uh your conviction amen yeah, don't vote at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> God bless you, Bishop. Okay, be blessed now. Bye-bye.